wonderful. We've had a great week with our missionaries and they're the heroes of the faith and I appreciate them so much. Had a great time Wednesday night as you see and tonight we'll finish up with Dr. James Merritt coming to preach and we're going to have dinner before that at five o'clock. But I want us to take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 17. Each one of these services kind of have a different reason. They overlap but many of them have a different reason and there's a special reason for this message and also for the service this morning. But I want us to turn to John chapter 17. Visited there a few weeks ago and I enjoyed the visit and uh, wanted to come back. But it's uh, good to have you here. In fact, if I can just do this just for a moment before I get started, could you give yourself a round of applause just for being here this morning and give me somebody to preach to, all right? Got a great crowd this morning. I know a lot of things have been going on around us, but we want to take our focus this morning and ask ourselves, why missions? Our vision statement to share the gospel of Jesus Christ where we live, work, play, and go so the sun would not set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. Well, we've had that vision and we accomplished that at one time. Some of the missionaries came home and so here we are with that vision once again. And we ask ourselves then, why missions? I mean, to me, the missionaries are real heroes, and uh, sometimes we put them up on a pedestal, but the world has sort of painted them, oftentimes even in a bad light. You know, know, TV, the movies, always they're after something. It's not really about God. And and sometimes we think to themselves, you know, the world says, well, you're going into another culture just to intrude on that culture. Frank Zappa, a few years ago, said missionary evangelism is the height of cultural arrogance to go to somebody else's country and attempt through teaching, food, medical treatment to capture souls for Christ. Presumes that the guy with the travel travel budget and the hypodermic needle has a spiritual edge of the natives he's trying to save. But yet, on the other hand, I read the other day where an African lady went down to the river and drowned her newborn baby. Why did she do that? Because of their religion, she felt so guilty about her life. She felt like the only thing that she could do to get rid of her guilt was to make the supreme sacrifice to her gods. Then we have false teaching of communism. Just a few people over the centuries have really grasped hold to this thing, and they've enslaved millions of people. And let me ask you something. If you were, say, down here in Orlando... And you are walking through and you say, you know, if I cut through this alley, I'll be able to get my car to my car a lot quicker. And so you go through the alley and you're halfway through and you see these five young men coming toward you that look like a gang. Wouldn't you take comfort if you knew they just came out of a Bible study? I think you would. Because we know deep down, no matter what we say, No matter how much our emotions get involved, we know that Jesus Christ really does make a difference in somebody's life. If they're really, truly committed to Christ, it makes a tremendous difference. In fact, I think if we were to think through it today, we'd realize that if everybody in the world came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, we could end poverty, war, and crime overnight. But that's the task that is before us. And as we look at our text today, we ask ourselves, first of all, why be involved in a mission at all in life? Then secondly, 
Why this mission? And thirdly, what do we do about it? Well, we open to John chapter 17. And as we open this passage, let me just give you a little background of where we are. Jesus has, is finishing up his ministry. And in John chapter 14, the, they, the disciples and Jesus had the last supper. And as they're walking out, and after the Lord's Supper, or John chapter 13, they begin to walk out toward the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus would be arrested and eventually die on a cross a few days later. And so they're walking toward this, and they're walking through the Kidron Valley. Now, Jesus is about to pass the baton of ministry from himself on to the disciples. His mission, now they take on his mission. And he's walking through the Kidron Valley. That's where all the sacrifices of the Passover had taken place. So there's blood everywhere. There's a stench of death in their nostrils, dust on their feet. They're walking along, and he's teaching about the Holy Spirit. He's teaching about prayer. He's teaching about evangelism. And then he comes. I picture him just coming to the threshold of the garden. I've been there. I know where it is. And he just stands there. And he stops. And he begins to pray. And John chapter 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And you can imagine perhaps the shock on their faces and how you and I would be shocked. All of a sudden he's teaching, now he stops and he begins to pray. But they've seen him pray before, but now he prays for himself. The first five verses of this chapter is Jesus praying about himself and for himself. Verses 6 through 19 is really for the disciples, and verses 20 and 20 through 26 is about us today. But all of verses 6 through 26 apply to us as believers, as Jesus passing that baton of mission onto us. And as we look at this passage, I first of all just want to look at missions and say, you know, or mission period, uh, and I should put that probably in the singular form, because what is your life about Why is it important for you to have mission? And then secondly, again, why this mission? Let's look at it together. First of all, I want us to look at verse 6. I want to start reading at that point. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, the picture is here is that Jesus saying out of the world, meaning out of a lost condition, out of those who do not know Jesus Christ are not followers of God, followers of Christ. Now you've given me them out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. And so they've given evidence of being followers of the Lord. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, it's not that Jesus is not praying for anybody else, but understand the context of what's going on here. And there is a special prayer here given to the disciples, those who would really cause and make a difference in Christianity more than any other people in the history of the world. These were the original 11 that would take the gospel message to the nation that they would belong to, and then eventually the nations. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, verse 9, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All, are, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, get the picture of what's going on here. Jesus is somehow saying, and I don't think we can fully understand this, that at least on earth, as he was here on earth, he says in verse 4, I've glorified you on earth. His glory had something to do with us. He looks at the disciples, and he says, 
my glory that has been fulfilled on earth has been fulfilled because of you. You completed that glory. Now get that picture in your mind for just a moment. He says that I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. For I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. He says, I've called them out of the world, but I've sent them back into the world. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 17, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And verse 18 is the key verse for the whole passage. You say, well, where's missions and all that? The word mission is not even in that passage. Well, it's not in English, but it is in the original Greek because the word mission means to send. And so every time you see, I've sent, I've sent, I've sent, I've sent, you've sent, I've sent. He says, I've sent them on a mission. I've sent them toward a direction. Jesus even said, as the Father has uh, sent me, even so send I you, John 20 and verse 21. The idea here is one sent, and one sent like, like an ambassador. You know, in another passage, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, it says we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, to get the picture for just a moment, what does an ambassador really do? Well, an ambassador goes to another country, well, for example, if they were a U.S. citizen and they were sent to Germany and they would be an ambassador to Germany, they would not become a citizen of Germany. They, they were called out to go to Germany and they represent, the United, they represent the United States. And as Tim Keller would put it, two good words, he says, an ambassador is sent to show and to save. I like that. To show. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about who Americans really are all across the world. And so the ambassador is there to show at least the dignitaries, as well as other people he would know in Germany, what Americans are really like, to show. And so you and I, as ambassadors for the Lord, are sent. We're sent out to show who Jesus Christ is and who the church really is, to demonstrate that, and also sent to save. It's kind of like a, an idea uh, of a relative and they have a disease. And you've had that disease before. And so you go to them and say, look, here's, here's the remedy. Here's the, the, the message I want to give to you. It has to do with really two things. One, we sent to show, that's the truth. I'm here to share with you the truth that I really believe. And if you go to another country and you don't believe that you don't love your country, United States, and you don't really represent who the, the country really is, then there's, there's, you don't believe in that truth. But if you believe in that truth, you're halfway to be an omission. The second thing is to save. In other words, to make a difference because you love someone. And so here's the thing. If you have a truth, any truth, that you really believe makes a difference, it matters to people's lives, and you love those people enough to give them that truth, you are on mission. You're on mission for something. You are on mission. Now, what does that mission do for us? Well, it gives us joy. Look in verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I love what Hebrews 12, 2 says, one of the great chapters in the Bible. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here that Jesus believed in the truth and he loved enough to give that truth. Now you know good and well, it, it was nothing joyful about going to a cross, having nails placed in your hands and your feet, a crown of thorns on your head, beaten 39 times on your back with a whip and nailed to that cross and hanging there for all those hours. There was nothing happy about that. There was nothing pleasurable about that. But there was a joy that was beyond that because he knew he had a truth that was vital. And he knew he loved us enough to carry out that truth. That was his mission. Other doctrinal things, they're taught in other places in the Bible. His, his doctrinal statement was basically this. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will likewise perish. Perish. His job was to get everybody lost so he, they could show, he could show the need, what they had in their life as he died on the cross for our sins. So there's a joy. There's a joy when you know the truth and you're spreading that truth. Now, why is it a joy? Well, it's fulfilling your life. It's a life, as we said, that matters. You know, we like to watch the superhero movies and no one really, I don't know of anybody that, I've never asked a five or six-year-old at least, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, I want to sit behind a desk all day and look at a computer screen. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. In fact, most of us do that, I guess. But when we start out in life, we want to be a little bit more heroic than that. We want our life to really matter. That's the reason our mission statement begins that way, building lives that matter. That's what we want to do. Now, I ran across something on YouTube that I've been wanting to show you, cutest little kid in the world. And he's going to demonstrate just how thrilling it is to be a hero. Let's show that. Kick Abra! Whoa! This is so cool! Abra! Kick Abra! Would you cut this off? That was you! You're doing it! The superpowers? Yeah, you got your I, I, I didn't know I had superpowers! That's great, isn't it? It's been many, many weeks trying to build a sermon around that video. <laughs> I'm just but we, yeah, we want to make a difference, do we not? You know, we, we talk about uh, uh, people today, on the millennials, but also the older people as well, having a, kind of a cause, and, and it seems like, man, it's hard to even reason with anything. Listen, when we were growing up, of course, this was before my time. No, seriously, when we were growing up, we had all kinds of protesting going on. We had racial unrest in the 60s. We had uh, the people uh, marching against um, the Vietnam War. We had all kinds of trouble. Remember, look up Kent State if you don't believe there was trouble. Look up that, and it'll tell you the whole story. And we look through that, and we think to ourselves, yeah, those people, meaning my generation, they wanted to cause. They didn't want to just sit behind a desk all day. They didn't want to just make money all the time. They wanted a cause worth living for and dying for. You're the pro bono lawyers. That's what, we, that's what people were going to be. Just give it away. But there was a problem with our generation. And the problem was 
there was something also, a philosophy running through the halls of our universities called relativism. And it taught that nothing really mattered because there was no real truth. And so if there's no real truth, then there's nothing worth living for, nothing worth dying for. And so you might as well just live for your own happiness. You might as well just live for, for the day, for the now, because there's nothing else there. And that was the postmodern mind. So we look at today, it's kind of come around again. And now truth of the Bible, at least, has been kind of eradicated in people's minds. In other words, relativism is said more and more. Oh, you don't, don't bother me with your Bible verses. Don't bother me with your salvation experience and Jesus being the way to heaven. There's a lot of ways to heaven. There's a lot of truths out there. You know, I'm reminded of a, a missionary story, something that's really true because I ask about it myself. And uh, prior to 1948, we had missionaries in China. Uh, Dr. Gus, uh, Dr. Gus Warner from Tacoma Falls College, a teacher there, was one of those missionaries. And so we had Bible studies, little churches going on, and it was really a struggle, a struggle. They had all kinds of other religions there, and we just couldn't seem to break through. 1948, the door was closed to the church, closed to all religions as communism came on the scene. And all those people were arrested. All those people were either kicked out of the country, arrested, killed for their faith. And then years later, I can't remember what it was, 30 years later, 40 years later, we go back in because the country's been kind of opened up again a little bit. And we go back in and we find the church has thrived under persecution, thrived. Hundreds of thousands of Christians everywhere, underground primarily. Well, what happened? Well, they will explain to you that, of course, persecution always, usually at least, spreads the gospel. But the reason what, ha what happened was they had all these religions they had to go against and all this upbringing and, oh, I, I don't want to say anything about my religion. I'm not changing my religion. I'll, if I change my religion, I'll be thrown out of my family. None of that. They, they eradicated all that religion. And so there was nothing else to fight against but communism, and people knew that that was not the answer. So they turned to the church. Well, in a more negative sense, our society has said there is no truth, there is no truth, there is no truth. And so we just live to ourselves. Now, we know that doesn't work. Two plus two equals four. You know, you drop something, gravity takes hold. There is truth in the universe. But now there's truth again. And instead of relativism, when it says, hey, you've got your truth, I've got my church, let's not fight about it. Now it's I've got my truth, and my truth is your truth. And we will fight about it. And we're not going to compromise it. Why? Because if I talk to you about my deepest convictions, that which I'm passionate for, that's what is bringing me fulfillment and joy. My cause, my cause. If I talk to you about it and I reason with you about it, then my passion turns into reason. And my cause turned into some, turns into something that's maybe a good idea for me to give at least a little bit of my time to. We are clamoring in every generation, including my generation still, we dig in and say, this is what I believe, and you want to believe it too. And if you don't believe like I believe, then you're the bad guy. And don't talk to me about it because it's going to take away my joy and my passion, at least my passion. And so mission brings that fulfillment. If you've got truth and you've got love, you're on mission. Now, what is the greatest mission? Let's look secondly this morning as I move ahead. You're listening a lot slower 
than the first hour. I just want to throw that out. Why Christian missions? Verse 4 talks about the glory of God. It brings the glory of God to focus. But also, the Christian mission is important because the world's broken. I shared with you a few minutes ago, we could, we could, eradicate, we, we could do away, cancel out all the, the poverty and the war and the crime, most of the crime in the world if everybody would come to know Christ. The world is a broken place. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, it was broken. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationships with others are broken. Our hearts are broken. Our minds are broken. Souls are broken. And that's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. And Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the road to heaven. I am the truth. I am the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. I don't have time this morning as I have in times past to go through every little thing about that. But let me just say this. If there had been any other way to heaven, why do you think the Father would send his son to die on a Roman cross the way he did? Just to make one more way? And see, it's not so much that we're worried about there only being one way. We just want them to, I mean, being honest, we want it to be one more way. If there were a thousand ways, that wouldn't be enough, as long, unless it was my way. If, if I can invent a way that's acceptable to me to get to heaven, and okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do this. I won't, I'll sacrifice this. But Jesus said, no, it's not about you. It's about him. And it's him dying on the cross for our sins, that if we receive him into our life and we become a follower of him, we will inherit eternal life by being born again. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's why the cause of Christ is so important. The world is lost for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to what John 3 says. Now, in John chapter 3, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right after that, verse 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the truth. Do you believe that truth? If you don't believe that truth, it's going to be hard for you to be on mission. But if you grasp that truth, if the Holy Spirit would reveal that truth to you, that Jesus makes the difference between heaven and hell, we're halfway there. Then we have to love. If, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not on mission, you either don't believe the truth or you don't have enough love. The Christian mission is the most eternal mission there is. Listen, if I'm going to give myself to something, I mean, it's fine to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm raising up this business and, um, you know, I'm going to make it for my family. Then you, you, your business kind of goes sour a little bit. So you sell the business, you make a little bit, or you retire and the business is over. Where's your mission then? It's temporary. I'm going to raise my children. That's my mission. Great mission. But if that's your primary mission, one day that mission is going to be complete. It's going to be over. Where do you go from there? Given your life to this, where do you go from there? The Christian mission is eternal. I'm going to mention some names to you, just random names. Paul, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, Aristotle, um, Billy Graham, Dwight L. Moody, Hitler, Stalin, 
Khrushchev, um, Napoleon. What do they all have in common? They lived, and they probably lived, if I'm, my memory serves me correctly, less than 100 years, and all of them died. And whatever decisions they made on this side of the grave will affect them for all of eternity. That's a big cause. That's an eternal cause. I can't think. I, I, all my life, I've never been able to think of one mission that is more worthy than that one. You say, look, you know, missions is great, but these people in Africa, we ought to leave them alone because if, I mean, my goodness, you know, they're, they're going to go to heaven. Well, they've never heard the gospel. Of course, they're going to heaven. I remember um, being a student at the University of Georgia. Uh, no boos and jeers, please, University of Georgia. And um, being a student there, I was uh, witnessing to a friend of mine, and another guy was sitting there. He was sitting here, and this other guy was just sitting there. I, I didn't know who he was, really. Met him for the first time. Didn't even remember his name right at that moment. I'm sharing Christ with this guy, and he gets up, and he says, you know, I'm not sure I really want to hear any more about that right now. Maybe later. And this other guy says, well, I want to hear about it. Kind of took me back a little bit. And he'd been listening the whole time. So we begin to, I began to share with him. He kept asking question after question. Never raised in church. So he was just asking questions. And he says, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What happens to them? I didn't know the answer. I was a fairly young Christian myself. And so I, I just said, I, guess, I don't know. I guess they go to heaven. But I tell you what, I've got a great pastor. Let's go, let's go talk to him. Bill Ricketts. My pastor, Prince Avenue Baptist Church, back in that day, one of the most compassionate men you'll ever meet. In fact, when he came here to preach, one of my staff members looked at me and said, man, that's one of the most, I think that's the most compassionate individual I've ever met. I, I, I mean, I didn't take that personally or nothing. <laughs> but he is. I thought, well, if he, he's got the answer, and it'll be a compassionate answer. And I asked him that question right in front of this guy, and he said, oh, they're not saved. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, think about it for just a minute. Think about it. If there's a tribe in Africa that have never heard the gospel, then they'll automatically go to heaven, right? By your way of thinking. I said, I guess so. I said, now, if we send missionaries into that tribe, how many of them do you think will receive Christ? I said, I don't know. He said, well, just say for argument's sake, half and half. That means half of them will still go to heaven, but half of them will go to hell. Now, we're doing them a disservice by sending missionaries into those tribes of those who have never heard the gospel if they're already saved. And I said, well, then what's the answer? Romans 1. Well, several passages in the Bible, but the one he turned to was Romans 1. And here's what it says. For, we cannot, for what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning those who have never heard. That's the context. Because God has shown it to them. What's it saying here? When you and I are born into this world, God places the knowledge of God, of some supreme being, in our life, in our heart. You don't have to convince a five-year-old there's God. Somehow he already knows. But he says it's confirmed. God has shown it to him for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal powers, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. You look around the world and see God's power and his nature around the world have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, the, the trees, the rivers, and everything around. It's confirmed that. So they are without excuse. He says, look, 
God reveals it to them in their consciousness, in, their, in creation, but also in revelation. Great story to this. It's found right here in the Bible in Acts chapter 8, one of the children's stories I love to use during Awana <clears throat> presentation, uh, one of them. In Acts chapter 8, you have an Ethiop, a, guy, a man from Ethiopia, and it's called the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's a treasurer to the queen of Ethiopia, so he's a trusted man. We find out also in the passage that he's already converted to Judaism, so he's searching for answers. God took one of the disciples, Philip, book of Acts, and he took him away from a great revival meeting. Hundreds were getting saved. Thousands, he's preaching to thousands of people. And he left. He said, I want you to go into the wilderness, not even knowing where he's going. He just took off into the desert. And he ran into this one guy, this one guy, the Ethiopian eunuch. And he was reading out of the book of Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, I need a teacher. And he shared Christ with him before he was finished. He wanted to receive Christ and be baptized. You see, God took a man who had a little light. I know there's a God somewhere. God wants you. I'd, I'd like to know more about you. He sends him more light. I'd like to know more about you. He sends him more light and more light and more light. But Philip had to be willing to go. He had to be willing to be the guy that God sent to him. So one of the missionaries telling me a story the other day. I'm going to throw this in. And uh, I don't know the story. I'm just going to tell you, the, you know, how I took it, okay? But the main punchline is, is there, believe me. But this guy is a homeless guy, and he's given a, a, um, uh, his story. And he said, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, it seemed like out of the sky, a Bible flopped right down in front of me. And I opened up the Bible, and I started reading. And from that, uh, a series of events took place. He got saved. He led a lot of other people to the Lord, and things were really happening. And, but he found out, he found out, in his, at least in his country, the Bible is not respected. And some people were flying over, and they found this box of Bibles on the plane. And the Bible was hated in their country. And they picked them up and threw them out the window. And one of those Bibles landed right in front of him. Now, that sounds like an act of God to me. God will do what he can and do whatever he has to do in order to lead that person. But he's got to have our cooperation and obedience as well, of course. So what do we do about it? How do we respond to all this? First of all, it's vital. In fact, part of this passage is concentrated, it seems like in an unbalanced way almost, toward us living for Jesus. You see, when the lost world is no longer listening to us, they're still looking. And yeah, they want to believe maybe your truth is the truth, but they want to see it. They want to see the life change. They want to see that it makes a difference. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart or to make holy. You sent them into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What? As sanctified people. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. I've given them example. And now I'm passing the baton to them. And you need to, to live the victorious Christian life in Jesus. And listen, if you are not having the joy of the Lord in your own heart, peace of God that he promises in the Bible, folks, you're not going to want to export that. You're not. You're not going to be motivated. 
You're not going to feel like you've got the truth unless you live in the truth, unless it's real to you. And he says, I want you to live the truth. I want it to be real to you. Secondly, we, we've got to go. It's not enough just to, to live it. We've got to go and spread it. And right now we have all in our churches these um, short-term missionaries. We've had, a, we had about, a, well, it says on the graphic in just a moment, 118 people called into full-time Christian service from this church in the last 25 years. It's actually more than that now. But most of them, most of them would say, you know, God really spoke to me on that short-term mission trip. Now, most of them are not overseas. Many of them are on staffs. They're pastoring somewhere. They're in school somewhere. Some of them are overseas. But God changed my life when I saw the answered prayer on the mission field. When I saw lives changed, on the, when I saw that, those people with tears coming down their, their face with their eyes closed and praying that prayer of salvation, I realized how fortunate I'd been and how much I'd taken the gospel for granted. And he said that, they, they realized this is the greatest cause of all. Folks, tonight, we're going to give you an opportunity to say, hey, you know, if the COVID protocols and whatever happens with COVID, of course, is going to make a difference. But I am willing to say to God, God, I'm willing to go on a short-term mission trip somewhere. I mean, after all, all of Paul's missionary journeys were short-term. And maybe through that, God, if he doesn't speak to you about going somewhere, he's, you, it's going to be, you're going to be more dedicated. You're going to be more holy, more sanctified. You're going to see the pain. I remember a guy by the name of David in my last church. He had a heart attack. He says, I felt pain before, Pastor. I really have. But I've never been in the pain. Well, you go on the mission field, and you, you see the poverty, and you see the lives changed right before you. When you see the joy of the Lord over, over things that we just take for granted, dear friends, that will fire your heart. That will convince you that you have a truth, the truth, and you fall in love with these people and you want them to know that truth. We need to go. That's what's going to change your life. Even if it's changing your life as a mom or a dad or a better worker or a better business person, a better doctor, a better lawyer, it's going to change your life to see that really going, see God at work. And finally, we need to give so others can go. We really do. I, I know it's kind of a thing, well, you know, here's the church asking for money again. The offering we're going to take up uh, by the way, through these envelopes here in just a minute. Uh, none of this is going to go to our church. So, well, you know, what about, you know, these expenses and those? And we, None of it's going to go to our church. You know, well, wouldn't you throw something in the building fund? No, none of it's going to go to our church. What about staff salaries? None of it. What about the missions guy? I mean, doesn't his salary get paid? No. That's through normal tithes and offerings. None. Say that word with me. None. Say it again. None of it, I don't have a dog in this fight for that. This is going to go toward people who need the funds to go on the mission field. It's going to go toward people that we are supporting right now. In fact, let's just look. I've got some pictures here. Um, first of all, Echo Church. Echo Church is in Anaheim. $30,000 we've committed to them per year for the next couple of years. And they're doing a, a great work, even with all the COVID restrictions, they're doing a great work there. And then in New York City, uh, this guy uh, preached in this church already uh, at one other time. 
um, doing a great job in New York, and they're really under the gun as well. They can't even go outdoors. And it wasn't for us giving them that $30,000. I, I as he said, I don't know where we'd be today. Then we have started a, um, a church, Church of Bethany in Haiti. We teamed up with Compassion International, and we built the church and, and paid for the pastor and all that, and, and they're going to come behind us and reach the children of the area. And reaching them, it's more than just a backyard Bible club. I mean, they really teach them not only the gospel, but how to function in the world. And some of you support uh, children through Compassion International. International Mission Board, 5,000 plus missionaries all over the world. You've heard from one today that we support through the cooperative program in our budget. Then we also have a ministry in, to the nations in India. We support Rod Gilbert. Now, the, 20 years ago when we started supporting Rod, he had 1,000 people coming. I know I was there. I taught leadership in a conference with about two or 300 of their leaders. They had about 1,000 people coming total. A couple of years ago, he was here. Their church now runs 63,000 people. 63,000. And we were in the, the beginnings of all that. And then lastly, we teamed up. We also continue to team up with Compassion International. And then the 118... And we have it up here from the times past, more like 125, 130 people now who have called a full-time Christian service. Listen, we want more. I'm grateful for the 118, the 125. I really am. I praise God for that. That was one of the visions I had when I came here. I was at the University of Georgia and Prince Avenue Baptist Church had so many people called into the mission field and ministry really as a whole. And a lot of it's geography. You call to the ministry and then God takes you from there. So that was a vision, and God's fulfilling that. But they can't, we can't send them without funds. And I know a lot of churches, when we started this whole GIC thing, uh, Global Impact Conference, several years ago, Larry Reeser, who helped us get it started, it was his really project. He's spreading it out through all the churches in America. And we went with him. I said, what we want to do, Larry, is what we want to take up the money, and part of the money we want to go to send, especially young people, but sometimes adults that can't afford it, we want to supplement them. He says, no, you shouldn't do that. No churches do that. He said, they write letters. And so some people get three or 400 letters every year saying, would you give me five or $10? And of course, that can get really cumbersome, especially when you're trying to teach people to tithe. And we're saying, okay, here's the tithe, and then here's the offering to missions above and beyond the tithe. And that's all we want to do. He said, I think you're going to really regret that. I haven't regretted it, but I have had, you know, some pushback when we didn't do it anymore. People just thought, all churches do this. No church does this, okay? But we need to do this. And, and all churches don't have 118 people called into full-time Christian ministry either. To continue to do that, we need your help. We need your help. Not all the kids can afford to go. And not all the adults can really afford to go, especially when they're paying for their kids as well. And we want to get them at least on that first trip out on the mission field to be in the pain, to see the burden, and to see the lives being changed. And I know that, hey, you've got a lot of bills to pay. You've got a lot of things to do. One of the favorite stories Larry tells me when he was on the mission field in a really a backwoods uh, forest-type area, I think it was in Africa, and uh, he was walking through the paths, and they came upon this worship service outdoors. And, um, and he saw something really weird. 
he said ladies started taking off their dresses. And he looked away at first, and the missionary said, no, it's okay. They had a dress under the dress. This tribe wore everything they owned. They wore everything they owned. And every lady had, there had two dresses. She pulled off, they pulled off the dress, put it in a pile. And there were all kinds of things in this pile. And then people started crying. And he says, what's going on? He said, well, the ladies are taking off their dresses to give to missions so they can start a church in a village about 10 miles from here. Of course, all walking, that's a long way. And other things that you see there, the plows and everything, they're, they're just given to sell in order so they can have this mission. And the reason they're crying is not because they're giving it away. They're crying because they have nothing left to give. That's the kind of sacrifice you make when you know you have the truth and you love people enough that they just, you just feel like they must have that truth. As we take our cards this morning, I filled mine out, and so if some, one of the ushers would come and get it, I'd appreciate it. But uh, you have these cards, and what we're going to ask you to do is to take the card and fill it out here in the next few minutes. Some of you need to bow, maybe bow in prayer for just a minute, pray with your spouse, pray by yourself, and say, God, what would you have me to do? And you might ask the first question is, God, what, what can I do? I, mean, I got all these bills and everything. What can I do? And some of you students here, maybe you can say, well, I can do without a cup of coffee at the $5 kind one time. And if you get the shakes or something like that, you come by and we'll give you a 10-cent cup of coffee in the office over here. You know? But you could do that. And then ask yourself the question, God, what would you, would you really have me to do here? Would you want me to sacrifice? Would you want me to go the extra mile above and beyond what I'm already giving? And you're being generous now, perhaps. I think you are. And you're tithing. And now we get above the tithe and really start giving some of our own money away, you might say. So what would God, first of all, what can you do? And the second question is, God, what would you have me to really do at this time? And so as we bow our heads together, let's pray. God, I pray that you would guide us right now. Give us the, um, the wisdom to know what to do. Speak to our heart. The way you spoke to Philip at that revival meeting. Speak to us now. Put a figure on our heart. And uh, as, we, as we think about that and we have that on our heart, I pray that we'd have the discernment and wisdom to make the right decision on that, whether that's really your will or not. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for just... listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.